Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. And welcome to Anime World Order. This is episode number three. I'm Clarissa Graffio. I'm Daryl Surratt. And I'm Gerald. Just Gerald. That's that's only like only Madonna. Monitor. Yeah, I'm that, I'm that famous. Like now. a porn star. <laughs> you did see it. Oh, I'm so glad. Today's episode, because we're all insane, today is our Mecca episode. <laughs> I've got a overlook segment on King of Braves Gal Gygar. I'm going to be doing a review on Gundam Sea Destiny Final Plus. And I'm going to be doing kind of an overview of the work of Shoji Kawamori. He's best known for Macross. And since there's a pretty good chance that most people listening to this are not going to know what we're talking about in this episode, I strongly suggest you head on over to our website, which is animeworldorder.blogspot.com, and check the show notes for this episode. In fact, check the show notes for every episode. So just to back up, why are we out of our minds by doing a Mecha-related show? I'm not certain. I mean... I'm it, certain. Uh, well, <laughs> y- you said it's because we're out of our minds, so... No, 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 Clarissa reason. said that. Well, I think you've said it previously, but, Okay, uh, just pin it all on me. Yes, well, everything's uh, your right. fault, Daryl. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that guilt. <laughs> well, it seems to me like the Mech fans seem to be some of the hardest core anime fans. Mm. Yeah, or certainly I think... the most insane. I mean, every mech fan that we know is certainly insane. I don't know if I'd say that mecha is, is as big of a genre as your standard shonen fighting shows. Or I would say it's almost else. one of the smallest genres at this point. Yeah. That it seems like a lot of people watch certain things. Like, it seems like a lot of people watch Gundam Seed, but it's hard to tell. It I don't brings buy up that. an interesting question, too, no? because why do you think that anime is associated with mecha, but it's not really all that popular within the anime community? I think what it is is that there was a time when there was a very large amount of sci-fi anime shows, many of which featured giant robots. Mm-hmm. One of the earliest things that people associate with anime nowadays is Voltron. Yeah, um, Gigantor. Yeah, Gigantor is another one. And so a lot of people generally attribute anime, oh, robots fighting each other. Even though nowadays, if you look at the schedules on what's coming out in Japan, what's yeah. being licensed, what's being released out here, there's not a whole lot yeah. of things with well, robots. Well, and Robotech, which is not really a giant robot show, but is a mech show. But it's still a show with robots that and transform. If you, and if you count things with power suits like Bubblegum Crisis... And we don't. Not for robot shows. Well, well yeah. it's, it's a mecha. But a lot of people tend to lump that in with mecha. That's kind of a response to why mech anime isn't popular anymore. Do you think that mech anime that's made today is just more inaccessible than it used to be? Do you think I don't think it's like that. I think it's a side effect of two things. The first thing is that in America, the demographic for anime has changed drastically. There's a lot of women watching, and there's a lot of much younger people watching. Yeah. It's not a case where it was in the earlier days when a lot of the fans came from the science fiction background right. and you know were more conducive to the sci-fi mm-hmm. series. Nowadays, a lot of people are just, quote-unquote, regular people, and so the whole space opera 
future with robots, that sort of thing, yeah. just is completely unappealing to them. Yeah. My second reason is that the situation has changed in Japan. Whereas before, a lot of the kids' entertainment was robot shows. Mm-hmm. Once Pokemon hit, yeah. we didn't really start seeing that many robot shows geared towards little kids anymore for buying all the merchandise. It was all the Pokemons and the Digimons right. and shows of that nature. That sort of replaced the robot show. Look at shows like Gravion and um, mm-hmm. uh, Godaner. that other Godaner, that's it. Uh, do you think that those shows just don't have wide appeal? I don't or? think they have wide appeal. I think their main appeal is to adolescent guys. And most but robot what about shows... about all other giant robot shows? They appeal to boys, but not adolescent boys. Some things are aimed at teenage boys, and they just seem to have noticed that now that the demographic has changed to include a lot of women... Mm. They don't really care about robots. Yeah. Clarissa, you're an exception to the rule. Girl robot anime fan. <laughs> it's a label you can wear to use as a, a pickup at a convention. It's like, <laughs> hey, guys, I'm down with... And we know the mech anime fans Votons. are a real hot bunch to, to go for. <laughs> yeah. yeah you, well, you've got your pick of the litter. <laughs> your choice of men who have no idea how to please you. <laughs> it, it, it may very well also be that they're just easier to market. Mm. And that a Pokemon show, you can have 200 different little things to yeah. market. And appeals to boys and girls equally. It might also have something to do with what we were talking about in terms of, like, Gundam, where it's just not something that has that much of a presence in America. I mean, yeah, we had Voltron and Gigantor. So, I mean, there are some examples. But I don't think that we've had giant robots or mechs as part of our consciousness as much as they were in Japan. For example, I play role-playing games like tabletop, like dice and character sheets role-playing games. Nerd! Yeah, I know. Yes, I'm even bigger a nerd than you all thought I was. There's a game, Battletech. Some people may recognize it from the MechWarrior video games. That has its own audience, but I don't know if I'd say it's, you know, hugely popular. It's strange that the current wave of anime fandom, which I would say began in 2000 with Cartoon Network's airing of Gundam Wing, was a robot show. Except what brought in the crowd wasn't necessarily the fact that it was a robot show. It was the fact that uh, it was a show with pretty boys in it. But also with Gundam, there's so much politics in it that there are a lot of people who don't really particularly care all that much about the Gundams as robots, but they're interested in like the politics of it. But it was proven as well, because Gundam Wing was the most successful Gundam that was been oh, yeah. sh- has been shown in yeah. America, and everyone has been less and less successful. Right. And so there's less and less appeal in each subsequent one, and obviously people aren't going out there and saying, wow, this Gundam design is so cool. And of course... I'm watching the show just well, for Well, there's also design. Ava, but again, that's an exception, because I think most people aren't really into Ava necessarily for the mechs, but for all the, you know, crazy symbolism. Even though I treat that show as a mech show rather than, like, some psychological... I actually don't, but it is considered by most people as a robot show. And so that's another reason why I suppose a lot of people would classify anime as being ubiquitous with giant robots, because Evangelion is a hugely popular Mm -hmm. series, Yeah, and it's considered to be a robot show. The original idea for the show was to take the conventions of the genre and turn them on right. their head. And like they did with Gunbuster. I mean, that was the yeah. idea with that show. It still but isn't out in America. Not on DVD, but anyway. And the new one isn't out at all yet. Thank God. <laughs> we'll get into that in a, in a later show. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we will. The tragedies of the new Gunbuster. Of the new Gynax. I did get a request that we should talk about Zambot 3 <laughs> in our Mecha-themed show. The only problem is that I've never seen the show. 
So right. I, I must apologize. I think we should talk about the show, even though none of us have ever seen the show. Yeah. So <laughs> let's see. Didn't you love that Hot Springs episode? The Hot Springs episode of Zamba yeah. 3. I, I would say that it Were preceded the, the, the time frame for which it was in vogue to do obligatory Hot Springs episodes in oh, your right. show. right. That was the Tenchi Muyo thing that started mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's a fairly so let's late say, Oh, did you like the, the Mad Scientist episode, which was every episode of it, Probably. I bet. I don't know if Zambot 3 was that sort of show. Oh, bullshit, it wasn't. We're not going <laughs> no, on what no, it was. No, no, look. We're not going on what it was. We're going on what we think it is. It was directed by Tamino, okay? Oh, did you like the bullshit politics in that show? Did you like the part where he killed everybody? Since it was Tamino. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The only thing I know about Zambot 3 is, like, <laughs> the way they kill people is they put incendiary devices inside people's bodies and then just set them off any time. So it's like they capture a prisoner and put a bomb inside them then send him home oh, to his wow. family and boom, <laughs> blow him up. That's all I know about the show. I believe Zambot 3 was one of those shows that people were kind of surprised with. Oh it, no, wait a second, that was Rydeen. So. No, it's, it is my understanding that it started off very silly and lighthearted, very much like how Gunbuster and Ava started, and then it just became very serious and screwed up. I believe there is a little bit of news that happened. All right. So maybe we should get on with that. Let's news. Working to restore power. Okay, and with that, I guess we've got some news. Well, what news that we have to go over, since you didn't have exactly as big a break between this show and the last show. Yeah, because we're trying to be responsible for a change. Well, we'll see how long that lasts. One piece of interest is that Turner Classic Movies is showing a uh, Ghibli movie every Thursday night for the month of January. On January 5th, they showed uh, Mononoke and Spirited Away. January 12th. They are showing Nausicaa of the Valley of Wind and Castle in the Sky. The 19th, they're showing My Neighbor Totoro and Porco Rosso. And the 26th, they're showing Only Yesterday and Ponpoco. They show them dubbed and subbed, believe it or not, which is quite a thing. It's interesting that they're showing Only Yesterday, because Only Yesterday is not even out on DVD in America yet. So it's going to air on TCM before it's actually out. And in addition to that, I believe there's only a subtitled version of Only Yesterday. I don't think there's a dub really, that, for well, that. But it's a fantastic movie, and I recommend everyone see it. It might not be getting a dub just because it just doesn't have the same sort of fantastic backstory that a lot of the other uh, Ghibli movies have. It's very much a slice-of-life show. It's definitely a film targeted towards middle-aged adults. <laughs> well, so is Porco Rosso, but Porco Rosso is more fantastic. Yeah. Right. You can see the influence it would have on Tailspin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's quite obvious. So check those out if we actually get this thing out before you know January is finished. I'm a little and surprised they're running Pon Poco. Yeah, that's one of those things that people said for years that's never, ever going to come out in America because it's too Japanese. I and didn't got, think it would at all. Yeah, and they've got, you know, they're killing people with their testicles. testicles yeah. mm-hmm. And it's an allegory for urban development in Japan, and it's just Americans wouldn't go for it. Mm-hmm. But they released it. Yeah. I can't say it's really done very well, but they released it. Why would you say it's not really done very well? I can't say because I don't know. I see. That's why. Nausicaa apparently is the best-selling anime DVD of 2005. Hooray! Yeah, it's actually a good thing. It's finally something that was decent is the top seller. It's not like, you know, the number one seller was DN Angel or something. I remember back... Samurai Deeper Kill. 
Yeah. Back around 10 years ago, I believe the top-selling one was, I think, Ranma, followed by La Blue Girl. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm quite certain it was that. Classy. Yeah. I actually don't own Nausicaa on DVD, and I've been waiting for that to come out on DVD in America for like 10 years. But I still haven't bought it on DVD to replace my VHS fan sub, and it's a stupid nitpicky reason. But the thing I've noticed on all these uh, Buena Vista Disney releases of the Ghibli films is that the subtitle font they use is the worst font in the world. It's the same default yellow, sort of borderless, sort of italicized font that they used on a lot of the early, early anime DVD releases. Oh, like if any, yeah. if any of you guys have stuff like. Trigun mm-hmm. and Cowboy Bebop. If you check those DVD releases out and look at the subtitles, I hate that font. You can't read it at all on smaller televisions. Mm-hmm. You know, I Darryl- went to an anime club to try and show people Castle in the Sky. It wasn't a big screen TV, and so the, just the subtitles were completely illegible. I had to get my old VHS tape out to show them the movie so that the subtitles would be readable. And my other issue is that the subtitle script is bad. too... It is, it's, it's bad. Yeah, it's bad in the sense that it's too literal. Normally when you go through a translation of something, you've got the raw, literal translation of it. And then you clean and then it you up sort of, for English. Yeah, then you clean it up for, to be at least somewhat sensible to English. And the feeling I get when I look at the subtitle scripts on these Disney DVDs is that we're just getting that raw translation. Really? Wow. They totally skipped lines as well. I noticed it. And in in which ones? I watched uh, Laputa and I watched Porcoroso, and I've got two more sitting here I haven't watched yet, but they totally skipped lines, and I noticed it. That's really yeah. sad. I can believe that, because it's like, I bought the first batch, like, I have Kiki's Delivery Service and Castle in the Sky, and then I was just so ticked off at the way the subtitle script was handled, even though it seemed like they did put a lot of work into making the dub very well, and having extras and having John Lasseter from Pixar introduce things and have uh, good extras on them because they're all two-disc sets. But they shortchanged the subtitled version? Yeah, and that's a, a thing I've been noticing a lot Yeah, in a lot of companies. And that infuriates I was about to me. say, I wonder if it's maybe because it's Disney and maybe they don't really care about kind of the subtitle-watching crowd. I don't know. I don't, know. I don't want to go that far without having some sort of extensive mm-hmm. proof on it. I would really Maybe they're that's... deliberately going for that. Maybe they're saying, oh, we want to be truly authentic to the Japanese dialogue by having it like this. Mm. I really feel that the subtitles on those DVDs are afterthoughts. They I really think so as well. Really and I think subtitles like in general in the whole anime DVD industry is becoming an afterthought. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't feel like when they did like the quality checker, I don't think they told the quality checker to look at the subtitle. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me. Which is really but sad. I have no proof. Yeah. yeah. And in uh, other news, Kevin Lillard, who runs fansview.com, who uh, is well known for uh, taking pictures of cosplayers and pretty much going to 20-plus conventions a year and doing reports and all the guests and all that, uh, the guy suffered a heart attack at OhioCon recently. Thankfully, the guy's okay. And he was hospitalized for four days and, believe it or not, is on the road again. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so he's taking like any risk. straight out of the hospital and then, boom, it's on to Ushikon or the next yep. convention. Wow. I believe it Man. is Ushikon. He is dedicated and, you know, my thoughts go with him because he's a good yeah, guy. Yeah, that's some dedication. Yeah, nothing stops that man. I mean, maybe something can stop his heart, but nothing stops that man. Exactly. Only thing is that I honestly 
can't say I'm not surprised to hear that Kevin Lillard suffered a heart attack. I have because met the guy. He if is... you've never seen him, he's a very large man, and he's even though bad. in recent years he did lose a lot of weight, he was still a pretty big guy. This will definitely be a wake-up call, I hope. I hope it's a wake-up call, because how many really fat guys do you see at anime cons? It seems like there's two extremes. You can either see the guys who are really, really fat, or the ones like me that are crackhead skinny. Yeah. I hope that he gets, uh, well, I mean, he is better. He's on the road again. I hope that uh, he gets uh, more better. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) More better. So all you anime fans who go to anime conventions and are too damn lazy to take the stairs and you have to take the elevator, go up one floor, think of Kevin Lillard having a heart attack in the middle of a convention and get some exercise. Go play DDR. If you go play DDR, have the decency to take a shower afterwards. Yes, that's very true. Please. Or wear deodorant while you're playing DDR because the video game rooms at conventions are Deodorant is your friend. Go to the cons that uh, segregate DDR into its own room. And that's our really, really short news segment this week. There just really isn't a whole lot going on. And so up next, what the hell are we doing? (laughs) We never said what we were doing. We're so organized. What are we doing? Oh, crap. What day is it? Thank God this isn't live to tape. I can do my review. You're up, Daryl. Alright, so I guess it's time for me to do my review of Gundam Seed Destiny Final Plus. I know last episode we said we'd do this last... I'd say the cards were stacked against my actually enjoying Gundam Seed. Because when I first heard of the idea, my immediate reaction was, Oh, okay, it's basically another Gundam Wing. I bet this new show is going to have the exact same flaw that Gundam Wing did that the narrative is going to be complete nonsense due to trying to cover way too much material in way too little time. So when the fan subs for Gundam Seed first started coming out about four years ago, in late 2002, mm-hmm. I didn't watch them. I don't really watch shows until they're over and done with anyway, because I don't want to really invest a whole lot of time in something that turns out to be a letdown. Then Cartoon Network announced they were going to run Gundam Seed. This is like nearly two years ago now. And then I was like, oh, okay, it's going to be on TV. I'll give the show a shot. Unfortunately, the dub was your typical lackluster, crappy effort from the Ocean Group, which has this decade-spanning history of mediocrity, and their laconic acting just bored me to death. Last week I said the English dub for Crest of the Stars was one of the worst of the modern dubs on account of it being such a dialogue-heavy show with such blah acting. The Ocean Group dubbed that too. Mm-hmm. It's not just the dub that prevented me from watching it. The airing schedule for that show was just a death sentence. It was one episode a week on Saturday nights as opposed to the way every other Gundam show had been aired prior on Cartoon Network, which was one episode every weekday. And it's even better now. It's now at 5.30 in the morning on Saturday. Yeah. The last straw for me was the editing. I knew there was going to be some things edited out for TV broadcast, Mm -hmm. but the changes were just too severe for me to tolerate. Dialogue replacement, removal of footage to downplay violence, of which there's a lot in Gundam Seed. I mean, it's pretty graphically violent, despite the bright, cheery color set. And in addition to that, they had to digitally edit footage for things like, you know, removing blood, removing nudity, 
and guns. Yeah, they, they end up actually changing firearms that shot bullets so that they'd be ray guns that shot oh, lasers. No. And so, you know, I understand it's Cartoon Network and it's a channel primarily watched by children and ray guns are science fiction-like and kids can't go and get them in the house the way they could a real gun. But all the editing was just present and too high quality for me and I was like, screw it, I'm not going to watch this show. So then when the sequel series, Gundam Seed Destiny, started in, I guess, what was it, late 2004? I couldn't watch it. I mean, you have to have knowledge of the series before it before you can watch this new show. And then something happened. I was searching for information on a super robot show called Gear Fighter Dendo, which is a show I enjoy and recommend, and I noticed that Gundam Seed and Gundam Seed Destiny shared not only the same director, but also the same writer as Gear Fighter Dendo. It's the husband and wife duo of Mitsuo Fukuda and Chiaki Morisawa. Since I like Gear Fighter Dendo, I decided I'll bite the bullet I'll watch through Gundam Seed after all. And now, by this point, it was out on DVD in America. So I started to watch it, and I still wasn't that sold on it. The first several episodes, they weren't very good. So it took me a while to get through these episodes. Only reason I kept watching it was because of something I'd mentioned in last week's show, the Sunrise 50-episode show formula. Namely, the first 13 or so episodes to these 50-some episode shows, especially the Mecha shows, are all just exposition for the real story in the grand scheme of things, and things don't truly pick up until after that. The real purpose of these initial episodes, in general, is for the viewer to figure out and remember what people's names are, and what they look and behave like, and, you know, get some understanding of the setting in which the story takes place. That, to me, is what you should be getting out of those first 13 episodes of these 50-episode shows. The only downside is that you can't just skip to the part where it gets good. Sure enough, around episode 13 of Gundam Seed... Some interesting things started to happen. If I was an English scholar, if I had a degree in writing, I would say it was the narrative hook. You just did. Shit. <laughs> well, over time, I grew to actually like the show. A good bit, in fact. The show, despite a not-so-great start, ended up becoming much better as it went on. I'm much more forgiving of stories that start off not that good or bad, but get good, than I am of stories that start off good and then end up sucking. I did have some gripes about it, Namely, the high amount of recycled footage, whether it's in the form of stock footage or flashbacks or recap episodes. I swear there's like four recap episodes in Gundam Seed, and I think two of them were back-to-back. It was ridiculous. And the fact that the final episodes were rushed to the point where they actually had to animate an extra five-minute sequence on the DVD release, which contained the epilogue to the series. In their defense, they didn't get word that Gundam Seed Destiny was even going to be made. Until there was like five or so episodes left. So they had to just scramble and rewrite all this stuff at the last minute to leave room for the sequel. I had to download a fan sub of that five-minute ending because Bandai Entertainment decided, in their infinite wisdom, to not include that on their Region 1 DVD release of the TV series as it was included in the Japanese release, opting instead to include it with their release of the compilation movies, and those only just came out, like, very recently. I don't think these compilations for Gundam Seed were very good, I don't recommend watching them as a substitute for watching the TV show the way I recommend people just watch the original Mobile Suit Gundam movie trilogy instead of the whole show. If Gundam Seed would be loosely based on the original Gundam show, that meant Seed Destiny would be loosely based on Zeta Gundam, the follow-up to the original Gundam series, which many Mecha fans consider to be one of the all-time greats. Unfortunately, Gundam Seed Destiny is just a huge disappointment. It's like it's the opposite of Seed. At the first... 8 or 12 episodes are good, 
and then all the problems of the original series get magnified so greatly that the show just becomes a train wreck. It's a comedically entertaining train wreck. I mean, it's still a train wreck nonetheless. The pacing issues are just so totally out of hand in Gundam Sea Destiny to the point where it just cripples the show. At this point, they're using so much recap and so many flashbacks and so much stock footage, a lot of which is footage from the original friggin' show, except maybe they'll just repaint over it slightly so now it's some new robot doing the exact same motion. They don't actually have time to advance things. The pace of the show is just killed as a result. If Yoshiyuki Tamino, the person who created the original Gundam shows, has the nickname Kill Em All Tamino, Mitsuo Fukuda's nickname should be Recap Em All Fukuda or Flashback Em All Fukuda because it's just ridiculous. One thing that is good about Gundam Seed and Gundam Seed Destiny is the credit sequences. They change roughly every 10 episodes, and the footage often hints at events to come in some form or fashion. I get the feeling that they made these things before they actually went and did the episodes. In Seed Destiny... What happens is you end up seeing all this interesting stuff in the credits, and then nothing actually happens in the show to actually advance the narrative to the point where those things are going to happen. I feel like Millhouse, watching the Poochie episode of Itchy and Scratchy, where it's like, When are they going to get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> and it, <laughs> when they finally do the stuff that's in the opening credits because they're just painted into a corner for it and have no other choice but to do it, the end result is that it's just, it's not as good as it could have been, had it been paced outright. I mean, let me give you an example. Try and keep this somewhat vague to not spoil too much, but in Gundam Sea Destiny, there's a character who has the same voice actor and looks the same as a character from Gundam Seed, only he wears a mask on his face, as, you know, the Gundam villains are fond of doing. Now, I guess, despite it seeming really obvious who the identity of this person is, his identity is actually somewhat of a mystery, since the character he's supposed to be was not only not a villain in the original show, but he was decisively killed on screen at the end of Gundam Seed. That was the only thing I knew about Gundam Seed for years prior to seeing the show. It was just mentioning this guy died was a joke on 4chan and stuff like that. So, anyway... The second opening credits of Gundam Sea Destiny show this guy, his face isn't visible to the camera or anything, but he's unmasked, and he's pointing a gun at someone from the original show who recognized what he looks like under the mask and is kind of shocked over it. Reason dictates, all right, we're going to find out who this person really is within the next few episodes by way of these two characters encountering each other. Except, we don't. And then the credits change... And when the credits change, they just show this guy unmasked and on the side of the heroes, even though it still hasn't fucking happened yet in the show, he hasn't even met them face-to-face yet. That's what I mean by the pacing problems is killing it. I guess they had the foresight to do the broad strokes of the narrative in advance, but when it came time to actually hashing out the details, they were just making things up as they went along and stalling for time to a point beyond what they should have been doing for a series like this. Sounds to me like it's a show basically made up of bullet points. Maybe, but whatever it was, all these things were done at the expense of telling the story. Gundam Seed did it too, but now it's just been amplified to the point of... Now, in Seed Destiny, the main character is supposedly this person named Shin Asuka. And he's just completely unlikable, the way that, say, Hayden Christensen in Star Wars Episode (laughs) 2 is, like Anakin Skywalker. Okay? He's pretty stupid and useless, and so are his compatriots, these new characters. And then when the original Gundam Seed heroes show up, which happens very quickly, like within the first few episodes, 
the problem's made even worse, because the new characters, they get pushed off to the side, including this Shinowska guy, he's supposed to be the main character of the series, but isn't really, outside of looking at opening credit sequences. So there wasn't really any point to introducing the new characters in Destiny? The big flaw is that it's not like they even solely spotlight the new characters. What ends up happening is, like, there ends up being so many characters that they're trying to focus on that ultimately nobody gets any focus. When you spend all that ungodly amount of time on the flashbacks and the recap, there's not sufficient time left over to develop characters or to change existing ones. And so it goes, it's like there's literally 20 or so episodes in the middle of this, like, 50-episode show where nothing of worth actually happens, even though there's all these interesting things that they brought up and could and should be spending time on building on, but they just aren't. And that's what I mean by that wasted potential. You're thinking, you know what? If they just did this one thing, I could forgive everything else they've done to this point. My example is this. If they had taken that supposed main character, Shinasuka, and made him the villain, like turned him evil, if he were to become the villain, just like how Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader, that would have saved the show for me. But that doesn't happen. They just spend all this time doing not a whole lot, and so the final episodes leave the staff with way, way too much to resolve and way too little time, and this time, despite being advertised and merchandised like hell and having the greatest time slot in Japan, the ratings for Gundam Seed Destiny were crap. I mean, they started off strong, and then they dropped off sharply, and so did the sales. Gundam Seed Destiny ended without adequately resolving everything. And so once again, they're going to have to animate extra footage that would be the series epilogue on the DVD. And that is what Gundam Seed Destiny Final Plus is, which is the thing I'm supposed to be reviewing. <laughs> now, coming from Corn Pollen Flicks, the most incredible spectacle ever to hit the screen, the ultimate clash of the titans! Flexible Metal Hose Company versus the Universe! The universe has a trillion billion stars, planets, galaxies, nebula, and other exciting celestial phenomena. But they've got flexible metal hoses! It's flexible. It's metal. It's a hose. It's flexible metal hose. Sir, what technique should we use against M31? Have you tried a flexible metal hose? Yes, sir. Try a bigger one. Victorious in a battle that could determine the fate of all mankind! Flexible Metal Hose Company versus the Universe! Coming soon from Cornball Flicks! If you'd like to find out more about Cornpone Flicks, which are people who I steal a lot of jokes from, you can check out their website at www.cornponeflicks.org. We'll have a link on the sidebar of our website. So anyway, back to the review. What they basically did was a complete do-over of the final episode, only slightly altered and lengthened out so it would be a little longer, with completely new epilogue at the end. This is mostly for the better, because certain climactic fight scenes that have been waiting the whole series to happen, those end up getting lengthened out instead of happening in like 10 seconds. So that's good. But the final scene, I don't buy it. The original ending had one thing going for it are not really the main character, even though he's billed as such, that guy, Shinasuka, gets what he deserves. He has to live with the knowledge that he's just this total and complete loser. Defeated utterly, everything he knows is just in flames and gone up, and all he can do is just sit there on this barren rock and weep at the fact that he got totally bitch-slapped. And that's what he deserved. I mean, after 50 episodes of his crap, he didn't deserve a happy ending to me. 
And now that they've recently announced that they're going to make a third series, I think that's happened. It might be a rumor. That ending, to me, sets him up perfectly to be the villain for that. What's this new ending do? He forgives himself for all his bullshit and becomes friends with everybody, the, the very people he was just trying to kill, and he moves on past his anger and he gets the girl and he lives happily ever after. Hey, newsflash, people. It's 30 episodes too late for that shit, all right? The other th- stupid thing about that ending, they spent a good portion of Gundam Seed, the original show, pairing off one of the guys and one of the girls. And see Destiny, one of the plot points that they don't really handle properly is they get separated from one another. The idea being, okay, they're going to get back together, right? But this ending now makes it clear that doesn't ever happen. Because now the guy ends up being with some other girl who, who served no purpose whatsoever in the show other than to answer the friggin' radio. But I guess the otaku everywhere loved her because, I don't know, she wears a hat or something like that, so they cave to that. All in all, even after seeing this ending, I think Gundam Sea Destiny is the kind of show that would be worth just sitting down and watching for free. Like if it was on... TV, or maybe if you were to download the fan subs or something. After that, do you still say it's worth watching? I, yes, despite all that. I Holy mean, there's crap. still there are still the moments of really cool things that happen. It's entertaining, if only for how nonsensical it becomes <laughs> due to some of the deficiencies. I mean, in that sense, yeah, I was entertained. And I'd keep watching the show every week or every weekday for that, but there is no way in hell I would pay 20 or $30 a disc for this. All you people who need fuel for your fan subs hurt the industry argument, there it is. I'm not going to buy the show. Now I've seen it and I know just how underwhelming it is. What sucks the most, the worst part of it, is that the universe in which the series takes place is an interesting one. I often compare it to this American cartoon series from years back called Exo Squad. Woo! It was a really neat show, and but even after all this crap, the characters and scenarios in this series mm-hmm. are still potentially salvageable. So if the rumors are true, and they do make a third series after all, I mean, it's my understanding there's no space on the TV schedule for it to air in 2006, so it probably wouldn't start until 2007. I don't want to see this guy, Mitsuo Fukuda, or his wife, Chiaki Morisawa. I don't want to see him in that same role attached to the project. Maybe they could have some more hands-off approach to it or something like that. Kind of like how I'd want to see George Lucas just give the basic (laughs) idea for what should happen in Star Wars and then leave someone else to fill in the gaps. Now, what do you think happened between the first and second season? Staff I wise? don't the same know. People I don't know. Kursaki, Maybe it wasn't Kursaki their fault. And Morisuda worked on the. Sorry, Fukuda. Fukuda and Morisawa <laughs> worked on Morisawa. the first Gundam Seed, which you liked, right? Yeah, maybe it's not their fault. Maybe the Bandai executives didn't give them enough of a budget for the show, and so that's why they had to maybe. do all the flashbacks and recap and stuff. Or maybe they mm-hmm. imposed an unreasonable production schedule on them, and so they had no choice but to do all this stuff just to get the show done on time. Or maybe they were pressured real heavily to feature mm-hmm. these certain characters more due to the way the sales of merchandise were charting. Yeah. Maybe it's all of the above. I don't know. All I know is that the show is ineptly yeah. handled and that these people's names are on it. So to me... They're the ones responsible. So here's hoping the powers that be over at Bandai take a look at those ratings and sales that died off after having this colossal amount of momentum in Japan and make the conclusion that, hey, the approach we took to this show is the wrong one. Maybe the next series will be better. If you ask me, the damage has probably already been done since to watch the new show. You're going to have to be aware of the events of Gundam Sea Destiny, aren't you? So the only shot at saving this to me is the compilation movies that are inevitably going to come out that will be made out of this. Maybe there's a way for them to compile and edit this stuff together so that they remove all the really, really stupid shit and then add in a few scenes here and there to flesh things out and make it not be so abrupt. Then maybe you could end up with something halfway decent. If the secret to the success 
of the compilation movies depends on whether or not there's huge portions which you can remove entirely and not negatively affect the narrative, then the compilations to see Destiny could fare rather well if they just waited until shortly before the new series debuted to release them. That way people forget about this show. So, yeah, there's my review of Seed Destiny Final Plus. Uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll, <laughs> some things so you guys might we'll have be fared a little better in the stuff you had, uh, you had watched for this week. I don't know. I think a lot of people are on my side for this one. But if you want to argue or if you want to say you agree or disagree with me, our email address, as always, is AnimeWorldOrder at gmail.com. Hey, kids. Do you like Japanese animation but have a hard time figuring out what to watch? Then you need to listen to the weekly anime review podcast where we talk about giant robots, blazing sword, magical girls, and other weird Japanese cartoons. Curse those evil octopi. So head over to www.weeklyanimereview.com or look for us in your favorite podcast directory. The Weekly Anime Review Podcast. Anime reviews for your ears. Okay, and now on to a new segment that we're going to give a shot here. This is going to be kind of a director's slash creator's spotlight, where we're going to basically look at that director, what they've done, what they're doing now, and where they're going, and uh, just basically about them. Because this is a mech-themed show, we thought we'd go with someone who was related to mech-themed shows, and that is Shoji Kawamori. Oh, nice. Yeah. You might say, why didn't we do someone like Yoshiyuki Tomino or Ryosuke Takashi, or if you even know who those people are. We're doing Shoji Kawamori. Now, Shoji Kawamori, he started out as an engineer and basically started working for Studio New way back when, back in the 70s. Is that New or Nue? N-U-E, Nue, I guess. Okay. And uh, he started doing some designs for a little show called Space Battleship Yamato and did some designs for another show named uh, Macross, which shot him to stardom. So he worked on Space Battle Cruiser Yamato, huh? He even worked on uh, Captain Harlock, too. Oh, wow. Well, these are really big deal shows from the 70s. Yeah. Right. Are integral to the existence of anime fandom today. And if you don't like them, then you're a terrible person. Right. Yes. Especially Yamato and Leader Deslock. He was, uh, he was a mech designer We here at Anime World Order show. hail Leader Deslock. He was a mech designer for all of those shows, and uh, he also was the mech designer for one of my favorite movies, which was uh, Crusher Joe. You can buy now from Animigo, which is an amazing deal because it's like six hours of really great action anime. How much is it? 20 bucks. And Crusher Joe, that was where the Dirty Pair came from, right? That is where the Dirty Pair were first seen, and even though they weren't named the Dirty Pair. I'll do a whole segment on the Dirty Pair at some point. Crusher Joe, definitely. But, you ain't uh, kidding, folks. I'm not kidding. Interestingly enough, Shoji Kawamori really wasn't the first choice for Macross. There was originally another designer that was in there, and then Kawamori kind of came in. And Kawamori's designs, if you go and look at the Valkyrie from the original Macross show... Or in Robotech, they were the uh, Veritex, right? They were a much sharper, angular design, sort of realistically mechanical than the previous designer. And it wasn't the first show that did transforming robots. It was probably one of the earlier ones that tr- attempted to transform them, form them realistically. And, it was and one the of benefit to that is that if you do that, then you can make the toy transform the same way, am I right? I was just going to say, it was one of the very first shows that had transforming toys that actually transformed mm-hmm. realistically. They did, you didn't have to pull off a head and slide it in the ass or something like that to, <laughs> to make so it, it transform. Really, so that really is more than meets the eye. Exactly. Yeah. The brown eye. <laughs> <laughs> 
Essentially, after the original Macro show, then Kawamori got his first attempt at directing. He was a co-director with Noboru Ishiguro on、uh, Macross Do You Remember Love? Which is a really good movie that should be out on DVD here, but isn't due to all kinds of crazy shit. That movie has got a whole history behind it in terms of just problems, and it's out in America in the form of Clash of the Binoids. Oh, yeah. To your,、uh, Thanks for reminding、movie. me that exists. But, yeah,、yes. nobody wants to buy that. I forgot.、So. <laughs> he、uh, went from that and basically did the direction for、uh, Macross Flashback 2012, which、uh, was basically a clip show except for an incredibly animated opening and ending. Right. It's basically a music video. Is all very, was, very、right? much、yes. so. Yeah. His career has been basically being mech designer.、Uh, he did the mech designs or was an assistant mech designer in Dangayo. He was also a mech designer in Stardust Memory. Uh, which is、uh, Gundam 0083. Right, Gundam 0083. Which is a、um, direct-to-video series. Massive direct-to-video series. Yeah, very, very well animated. Very good action sequences in that one. I recommend it for the action sequences and the animation quality, even if the plot and the characters are fucking crappy as hell, but <laughs> stuff blows up good. One of the very best anime movies ever made, and I'm not making this up. This is seriously one of the very best. He did the mech designs for a very spider like mech in a Pat Labor 2. I could talk、uh, Pat、yeah. Labor for an entire show. Pat Labor, we will have a Pat Labor segment. We might even have a Pat Labor show. Yeah, we're going to have to do yeah, that. But Pat Labor 2 is one of the very, very best. Probably one of the best political thrillers that's been made, not yeah, just an anime. That, that's going to be one of the things that Bandai Visual is re releasing in the super nice high quality edition, right? Right, exactly. I think I might have to, to buy that one, even though I already own it on DVD. Now, he, he didn't do the other Pat Labors, did he? he no,、Or、he didn't do、two. any mech designs. He's not credited with any mech designs for any other Pat Labor、okay. except Pat yeah, Labor 2. He just did the、so. one design. Just the one design、right. for that one mech. Th- and this it one mech、impressive. that's seen on camera for a few seconds. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he got his first real directing job for Macross Plus, which, in、Yay. my opinion, was the last really great thing he did. <laughs> I mean, Macross Plus、uh, is probably, I think, one of the very best of the Macross series. Oh, yeah. Well animated, great music. Yeah, great soundtrack. Oh,、uh, well, I mean, that was what really pushed Yoko Kano to what we know her today. That and Escaflone. Yep, Escaflone is、uh, another subject thing that he did. Of, yeah. yeah, exactly. And Cowboy he, Bebop, if you count that. Or、oh, if you count that as well, after. Cow- 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 Cowboy Bebop Cowboy came Bebop. later. Cow- this,、uh, trying to feed him us segues here. <laughs> and I'm being shocked. Macros Plus was、dust. 95, Cowboy, Cowboy Bebop was 98. And、uh, he was at the same time he was working on、uh, Macross 7. He was just mech design and series supervision. After that, then he went into、uh, Escaflone. But he didn't direct Escaflone, that was another director by the name、yeah. of Kazuki Akane,、uh, who would go on to direct Pete Guy J.、Mm-hmm. One of the more recent shows he's done was a very weird show called Earth Girl Arjuna. Oh, God. Now, Earth Girl Arjuna, I don't know if you've seen this show. If- yeah, I have. Yeah. It's kind of a very polarizing show. You don't really find many people who are like, yeah, this is good, or yeah, this is bad. If they say it's an amazing show, it's usually because it's very well animated. But Earth Girl Arjuna was a very strange show for Kawamori.、Yeah. I mean, it really didn't have a whole lot in terms of mech in mech sentence. No. It was no. very much a departure in that sense.、Yeah. It did have a very strong message that it was about as subtle with as a kick to the crotch.、Mm-hmm. I remember watching the first episode. And there was a sequence where there was this nuclear power plant that was being attacked. And there were explosions and everything. And there was this one plant worker. And I swear to God, the show almost stopped. 
for this guy to talk about how better it would be if everyone could turn off all their electricity for a day or something like that. Well, that's the kind of thing I would talk about if I was running away from a potential thermonuclear meltdown. Well, obviously, I would. I would stop would. to tell the little girl, if only people turned off the lights and they left their house. <laughs> it, and there were many, many moments like this throughout the show. There, and then and sheds a single tear. And um, there was another segment that I remember just got me so much. The segment where Arjuna, the girl, she bit into this hamburger. And as she bit into this hamburger, it was like the nuclear hamburger of destruction or something, because she suddenly started having these fits and these flashbacks to the cows that the meat came from, and they decided to have the most disgusting footage possible of meat moving through this grinder. Did PETA approve of the show or fund it? It must have been funded <laughs> by PETA. It was just so over-the-top in its message. I found it to be far less obnoxious than PETA usually is, though. But it was about as equally obnoxious. They weren't as comparing I found. chicken farming to the Holocaust or anything. It seemed to be pretty close with how how heavy-handed Kawamori was getting. It was heavy-handed, but I don't know that it was completely tacky. And, I think it was tacky and, with how they with how they used that hamburger. Aggressive piece. in the way that PETA usually is. Like I said, a very polarizing show, and yeah. it just, in my opinion, it was just a bad show because a lot of the environmental messages that got out were either very one-sided, they didn't give you all the information, or they were wrong, and they presented themselves as fact. And I really hate that when a show does that. He's basically been working on uh, Macross Zero and uh, Sosuke no Aquarium. What do you guys think of Macross Zero? I think it's very sad, because I, I think he's know. slipping, he's slipping yes. into the same formula that he is with Arjuna, because the show is now very heavy about the environment. First, I was so psyched for it, because it looks incredible. Yeah. And, and there's some really cool action scenes in it, and you get to see Roy Foker again. By the same and voice actor, too. Akira yeah, Kamiya's Akira back. Akira Kamiya's right. still, still around. And I was like, oh, this is going to kick so much ass. And then I'm watching it, and all of a sudden there's bird people. and Yeah, they're on know, this island. Talking and then it's, about yeah. it's this quiet island where people... This tribal island. Or... I have to admit that I didn't watch all of Macross Zero. And, and for me, like it had less to do, I think, with the whole Kawamori's Greenpeace direction than... Just that I felt it was just another one of that spate of recent remakes that we've had lately where they take a really awesome old it's, show it's, and they either remake it remake or do a it. new part and they just strip it of everything that was unique and yeah. make it completely generic, so like the new Guy King. I don't think that this show was generic in that it probably was next to Sento Yose Yukikaze, which is another direct-to-video uh, Mm-hmm. Mech series. Gonzo guy has it, a homosexual I, relationship with his it, airplane. It, 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 hold on, hold on, let me finish. <laughs> but it it was such a beautiful looking show. But I, I found the message just now, to be. <laughs> I just ha- the message was just so heavy handed about this peaceful idyllic uh, island is suddenly just mm-hmm. ruined by all of these by technology. Yeah. <laughs> it's very sad that that he never really got out of that mech thing, and he's kind of ruined Macross. Yeah, I don't think I'd buy Macross Zero if it came out. Now that I've seen it and I've been let down, there's another <laughs> fan subs hurt the end. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, stop making shit. I was going to say, yeah. crappy shows hurt the industry, not fan subs. And another show that he's been working on was a, a show called Eureka 7, which, again, his credit is purely for the mech design. And this is one of those shows that's kind of trying to be cool. It's a, a mech show featuring these skyboarding mechs. Skyboarding always seems like such a fake kind of we're trying to be cool thing it really kind of like, feels I, I've like i've never it. seen skyboarding in a show or anything where it just doesn't seem like oh 
Poochie is one outrageous dude. He's totally in my face. Hey, kids, always recycle. To the extreme! Busted! <laughs> That's another Simpsons reference from the same show. It's the same episode. episode. <laughs> I, I can't say that uh, Kawamori is a bad mech designer. I think that his designs have certainly improved. One of the very first things he ever worked on, which I actually forgot to mention, was a show called Technopolis. And you can actually buy the show. I've got the show on VHS. But don't buy it. Please don't. Yeah. This show has a very entertaining... (laughs) video releases. This show has a very entertaining dub that was done by kind of that Hong Kong crew that did a lot of dubs back in the uh, early 80s or mid-80s. Dubbed in English by people who don't really speak English all that Like that that amazing Jetman dub? Yeah. But this was interesting because they did use, like, Dammit and Hell and all that in this children's show. It had uh, interesting, if not a little bit generic, mech designs for the time. He also has done the mech designs for another show, which... I suppose qualifies as a mech show in, in kind of some weird, awkward way, was uh, Cyber Formula GPX. He did the car designs. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't watch that show. I'm, I'm I... watching it right now. I Wait a second. That show's done by the Gundam Seed, Gundam Seed Destiny guy, isn't Same it? Same guy. Done by Mitsuo Fukuda. <laughs> yeah, okay, well. Same guy. I, I, I'm going to have to warn you about that show. That <laughs> I'm, I'm already is. over halfway through the show. Yeah, and did they joke you yet? Well. Are there flashbacks to previous races? <laughs> No, we're not getting any of that yet. We do have this this one guy named Bleed Kaga. Can't, who would name their <laughs> really good name for Bleed a character? Bleed Kaga. So, so you'd say that Shoji Kawamori's, in a sense, two different people. There's Shoji Kawamori, the director, and Shoji Kawamori, the mecha designer. And the mecha designer is quite talented, but the director should be shot in the head. I actually think there's three different people. There's the, the mech designer, there's the director, and then there's the director. Oh, I think okay. he's a capable director if he abandons this sort of overall message that he wants to get around, as long as it's not some sort of environmental message that he's trying to thro- shove down your throat. Without that, I think that if Kawamori had been there as maybe an animator or a cinematographer or something along those lines, it would have been a much better show in the end. But uh, as it is, then... Kawamori had to get his message there. And then there's shows like uh, Macross Plus, which I think are excellent yeah. shows. I mean, Macross Plus is four episodes. In my opinion, it doesn't let you down for one second of that show. It is superbly directed, but I don't know how much of that was him, and he did have some assistance. I believe Masayuki was a co-director, and he would go on to co-direct in Evangelion. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to tell what exactly is up with Kawamori, and I'm really hoping that he will abandon this uh, Greenpeace stint that he's been on for the past about, what, eight years or so, and start producing just good Macross stuff. Well, I don't know if that's going to happen, because have you seen his newest show? So Say No Aquarian? Believe it or not, we did this segment, and I haven't seen his newest work, so I'm, I'm horrible. Don't waste your time on it. It's Ava with a heavy-handed environmental message, maybe? I, I didn't bother to keep watching it, and I don't know anyone who's stuck with it. If someone listening to this wants to email us and give us some confirmation or denial of whether or not Aquarion sucks or not, I'm leaning towards yes. Yes, email Go us ahead. at animeworldorder at gmail.com. If you've seen the show, give us an email, because neither, none of us have watched the show. We all yeah. fail. And that's kind of a basic overview of Shoji Kawamori, and uh, if you like what he's done, go and check out some of his work, and... Uh, if you don't like what he's done, well, forget about him and avoid anything that he's ever worked on. 
Yeah, we'll have plenty of links up in the show notes. So if you want to find out more about all these shows that we mentioned, we mentioned quite a few of them. Go ahead and check out the website, animeworldorder.blogspot.com, and we'll have uh, links up for all these different shows, hopefully. Yeah, so uh, get back to us with your comments. All right, and now this brings us to our often overlooked segment, for which I'm reviewing Yusha O. Gao Gaigar. Now, I know there may be some of you, if you're all as gigantic nerds as we are, that are saying... It's not possible. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Who are saying, you know, why would you do Gal Gygar? That's such a, a huge show. But the reason that I'm doing it is because Gal Gygar is a huge show among giant robot fans, which, as we've already discussed, are a pretty small group in terms of the overall anime viewing population. So there are probably a lot of you who maybe don't watch a whole lot of giant robot shows who have no idea what Gal Gygar is. And I think that's a shame, and I'm here to tell you why you should watch it. Now, Gal Gygar is one in a long series of giant robot shows made in Japan called the Yusha series, or the Brave series. Started in 1990 with a show called Yusha X Kaiser, and then pretty much every year after that, they did a new show. They did Brave of the Sun Fiber, Brave Fighter of Legend Dagarn, Brave Excess Might Gain, which is totally gay, Brave Police J Decker, Ogon no Yusha Golderon, probably the least popular of all the Brave series. Yeah, most of these shows were pretty formulaic. Yeah, you know, Yushishide Dagwan. Forgettable shows. Sort of the Gundam wing of the Brave series. These were essentially done to replace Transformers that had just ended around, what, 89, 88, somewhere Well, Transformers there. has kept going, but with disastrous results. Yeah, Japan made a bunch of horrible new Transformers series. But yeah, generally speaking, the Brave series, they were kids' giant robot shows, so they tended to be, you know, really formulaic. Not necessarily awful, but just not really anything special or exceedingly memorable. But in 97, they made the last one of these shows that they would ever make, and that was Yusho Gao Gaigar. They stopped after that, because giant robot shows, as we mentioned, just weren't really very popular anymore. Stuff like Pokemon was starting to take over the kids' audience. Gal Gygar is often considered to be one of the best, if not the best, giant robot show ever made. Now, this is another one of those shows, like Daryl was talking about Gundam Seed, that take a while to get started, and, you know, maybe they're okay at the beginning, but they're not really, you know, all that great, but chunk of episodes in. It's a 50-episode show by Sunrise, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Thereabouts? Yeah, there you go. If you watch maybe one or two episodes of Gal Gygar, you'll see another fairly standard Brave series, giant robot show. There's a kid, there's a, you know, giant robot with a guy piloting it. Whose name is Guy. Whose name is Guy, yeah, the most generic name. But about 25 episodes into this show... Now, these first 25 episodes are not bad by any means. <laughs> They're not bad at all. They're just not extraordinary. They're fairly standard. They're well animated, they're entertaining, but they're pretty run-of-the-mill. They're general, basic, giant robot shows, nothing really special. Exactly. It's a formula show. So, since it's a formula show, would you say that you could just conceivably skip straight to episode 25 or so? Because I mentioned in my review 
I couldn't do that because the story demanded that you know. The story for Gal Gadot certainly isn't complex as most Gundam shows tend to be. So it's, I suppose it's possible that maybe you could try. You'd miss out on that initial character introduction and, and whatnot, but... Is there that much to the characters? Yeah, or? I don't think it would be totally damaging. I don't think you wouldn't understand what was going on if you were to skip ahead. Would you say it would be actually beneficial, let's say? Because let's say, oh, well, 25 episodes is a lot to watch through. Mm. It's half the series. It never really bothered me. It really depends. Yeah, I mean, those 25 episodes, like I said, they weren't bad. So I don't think there's, you know... They were very generic to me, it seemed, but they weren't unwatchable. So maybe if people watch it and think, oh, this isn't really doing it for me, then maybe maybe they could try... Yeah, maybe try skipping ahead to those later episodes. To around episode 25, where basically the show, like so many things in the show, explodes. And they introduce a storyline where... Okay, I'm going to say this. This is going to sound really silly. But all of the weapons for Gal Gygar are tools. He's got, like, a, a screwdriver and, like, there's a hammer... And it looks like a little toy it, hammer it does. Like what the mom in Kodomino yeah, Mocha it does. hits people with. And that sounds really dumb. And, 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 and it hammer. is kind of dumb, but it works. Because giant robot shows are over the top. But all of Gal Gagar's attacks, like, he has all these attacks that, like, warp space and time. And the main attack that the guy uses to finish off the enemy every episode, you know, your blazing sword type attack, they introduce a plotline where basically this attack is killing him. It's ripping him apart, and so they have to figure out some way to do something about this. And with the introduction of that, it basically starts to build and to go in a little bit different direction. It sounds a lot like uh, a similar plotline in Roroni Kenshin. <laughs> I mean, that's not the entirety of what the show does, because from that point on, it just builds. Gal Gygar is one of those shows that every episode gets better and better, and better, and it's just like this steady build-up. And every episode is more and more dramatic, every fight gets bigger, the robots get more powerful, new characters get introduced, bad guys go away, they get replaced with somewhat new bad guys who are even more hardcore, and so you just have to keep coming back. And every episode that you watch is the most exciting episode of the show, and that never stops. And I was really amazed at how they managed to keep this up. This is maybe a show you want to marathon. It sounds like you it, maybe it's want like, to have wow. all of it handy because they do have a really nasty habit of every single episode. Just about they leave you at the most horrible cliffhanger. Maybe not every episode, but quite often. It gets pretty painful. Yeah. Just yeah, they leave you at just that spot that you're like, no. And you have to remember that this show, when it was released on a weekly basis, there was a week right. between each of those episodes. Yeah. Right. And, you know, they had to keep you coming back for the next episode, and it, it totally works, but it just drives you insane after a while. So, yeah, I definitely have the episodes on hand to, you know, keep mainlining more. Mainlining. That's a good term. It, it is. It's, it's pretty addictive. <laughs> Production quality-wise, I think Gal Gygar looks pretty gorgeous. The robot designs, I think, are excellent. The design for Gal Gygar, despite the kind of silly hammer and screwdriver and eraser and, you know, tool-themed weapons, is a pretty damn awesome robot. I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing that when you're eight, you want that toy. And just on the subject of that, when I first was watching Gal Gygar, I wasn't that impressed by it. Mm-hmm. In, in all honesty, I wasn't really digging the robot designs. To me, I looked at the way the robots looked, and I thought two things. One, a lot of these things look like... Bad ripoffs of the Transformers, 
which we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. In fact, the show is made by Takara, who yeah. also did the Transformers. And so I thought they looked like Transformers ripoffs. And for another thing, I thought, wow, they all look really plasticky and fakish, probably just for the sake of when they sell the toy, it can look yeah. just like the show. And that that combined with the fact that the first you know 20 or 25 or so episodes were relatively standard, along with the fact that I was watching Hong Kong bootlegs with English subtitles that were so bad <laughs> that you couldn't make sense out of what was going on, it, yeah. that stacked the cards against me way too much. And it was like years before I ended up going back to the mm-hmm. show. I can see what you're saying about kind of the plasticiness of the the robot design it never really bothered me and i mean yeah you know i would think oh wow you know a screwdriver that's kind of ridiculous but i always thought gal gagar looked pretty cool i can see what you're saying about the transformers there are some side robots choryujin they are you know trucks and they do turn into robots that look very similar to transformers gal gagar does have portions that are like a train and a, a stealth bomber and stuff I always wondered where that train track w- came from. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a giant robot show. There's no logic. It's it's powered on the power of bullshit. What's interesting is that actually, while I like Gal Gygar, coolest robot, and probably one of the coolest robots ever, belongs to a side character, and hence isn't there a whole lot, which is the King Jader, which is basically this enormous Harlock-ish spaceship called the J-Ark and it turns into this huge robot, which is the King Jader. I think that's one of the cases where it's like, it's an example of a character who's so cool and so badass that they can't have him in the show constantly because then he'd just yeah. steamroll through everything. Yeah, he'd just take over the entire show. He'd waste everyone and yeah. the guy wouldn't have anything and to so do. And so it's smart to not have him in the show constantly. Right. Which is right. the mistake that Gundam Seed Destiny made <laughs> by having the character who is godlike that would steamroll over everything in the show all the time. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, definitely they use him sparingly, they use him really well. You know, Gal Gagar, even after it gets really good, still does things that are fairly formulaic. I mean, you still have your aliens from space that are attacking, and you still have the enemy that becomes an ally. You still have your kid, who surprisingly isn't annoying. The kid's friends can get pretty annoying, especially this one girl who has probably the highest pitch voice I've ever heard. I think that what they actually did was they they just took a mouse and they beat this mouse with, yeah, with a just hammer to make rhythmic like was, to yeah. make rhythmic squeaking noises. So they took I, the I mice that were when played would squeak out the bells of Saint Mary. Exactly. And, uh, yes. Okay. Exactly. And then yes, they just used yes. those mice and made it sound Japanese. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's a person at all. No. For some reason, there's this kid that's what was it Swedish. Yes, that's Swedish. The, the, Annoying this show for no reason. Have, this, this one director must have something against Swedish kids because there's yeah. this Swedish nerd kid in there who was just there to be disliked. Yeah, and so and annoying. I don't know why. I mean, there's some other kids in the show, and most of the other kids are pretty annoying. And honestly, it's one of the few flaws of the show that I feel that could have dropped those kids, and it probably would have helped things. But then the audience wouldn't have been there. Yeah. I don't have a problem with the main kid, with Mamoru. I actually found, I usually hate the kids in these shows, but they have them because the shows are made to sell to eight-year-olds. So they have the kid in there so the kid watching can be like, hey, you know, that could be me. I could be piloting a robot or Or I whatever. could be the best friend of the guy who right, does this. Right, right. Because, yeah, Gal Gagar, the, the kid doesn't 
uh, really pilot the robot. It's really just the friend kids, the other kids that are annoying. But to their credit, they really don't have them in there that often enough that it made the show unpleasant to watch got the side uh, robots who help out, you know, like Mike Saunders, who's awesome. Mike Saunders is the American robot. One of the characters in the regular team of people, that's this organization called 3G, one of them is an American. And at one point, they introduce her brother and these other people from America. One of them is also the brother of the crazy scientist guy that works for 3G, the obligatory crazy scientist guy. You have to be a crazy scientist to make these giant robots with these right, crazy weapons. Right, of course, because no sane person would equip our giant robot with a, a screwdriver that, you know, warps the fabric of space and time. Dimensional pliers. Yes, exactly. Oh, but yeah, so they introduce these these people who come over from America, and they have a robot, actually a group of 13 robots, but for the most part you only see one of them, called Mike Saunders, who fights evil with the power of rocking out really hard. So it's like Macross 7. Except a Just lot cooler. Less stupid? Yeah. We're going to get I, hate I don't mail know. now. I thought it was... <laughs> we totally people. are. <laughs> there are OAVs that follow the Gal Gagar TV series, the Gal Gagar final OAVs. I honestly haven't watched very many of these because, as I mentioned, the cliffhangers are incredibly painful. And so I figured I'd wait for all of the final OAVs to be fan-subbed before I watched the rest of them because... That's uh, actually a good idea. I... I watched the first one or two, and they were just as amazing or even more amazing than the television show. And there's no wait in the OAVs. I mean, the OAVs just start you off, and immediately it's awesome. Yeah, uh, let me tell you, I was watching Gagagar Final. I ended up seeing the first four, and I then I, I just didn't see the rest of it. And the reason was was because in Japan, when these things were being made, there were these huge delays between each episode. It was like, you know, 8th MS team all over again. And it was just horrible. It's like, ah, what a place to stop. Yeah. I mean, just imagine being... Being in Japan and having to wait all that time, yeah. Yeah. Gagar is not available commercially in the United States yet, unfortunately, but the entire TV series has been fan-subbed. Oh, I should also mention, after Gagar Final, they did Gagar Grand Glorious Gathering, where they kind of redid Final and expanded it out to be 13 episodes. Basically, it's Gagar Final, only with a lot of the cool moments expanded upon. Yeah. And the weight being also pretty bad, just because nobody right. is subtitling it. But, I mean, all of the Gal Gagar TV series is, is Digisub. It's not available commercially, so I would recommend you go download it. Uh, there should, you know, be torrents available for that. The Gal Gagar TV series doesn't end on a horrendous cliffhanger. So you can watch the TV series and then move on once Final and or Grand Glorious Gathering have all been fan-subbed. I think it's worth mentioning that I like the TV series ending because I've got the mind of a 14-year-old boy or 12-year-old <laughs> boy. The ending of the show is definitely made with that in mind. It's well, kind the, of the ridiculous. whole show is a kid's show. The Brave it's series... Ra- that's right. That is one thing that I yeah. think totally separates the kids from the adults. Yeah. Is that ending. I won't say that Gal Gygar is perfect. First of all, I don't think any show is perfect. Second of all, I think it's probably pretty damn close to being perfect. I recommend that people who maybe don't usually watch giant robot shows check it out because you might find that you really enjoy it. I think there is one big flaw with Gal Gagar, and it's there's a lot of stock footage in it. Yeah. Like that repeats every episode. Like the transformation sequences right, and the attack lo- footage. Lots of transformation yeah. sequences because it takes like one transformation to get to this form of the robot, and then another one to get to this form of the robot, and then those two have to combine into this, and then they have to get the weapon, and then most it, of the time they skip the there, the there are initial stages before Gal Gagar. Usually the transformation of Gygar is either skipped completely 
were very, very short. So they don't actually really make you sit through multiple transformations to get to Gal Gygar for the most part. You do have, like, you know, launch sequences sometimes for the weapons. You do have transformation sometimes for the other robots, the supporting robots. You do have okay. the Gal Gygar transformation. So, yeah, there still is a lot of stock footage. Yeah, and I know the stock footage is one of the things that puts a lot of people off on right. the giant robot stuff, even though I, yeah. I'd forgotten to mention it in the introduction, but yeah. Yeah. I know, yeah although a lot of these people, the yeah, I was just going to say, they'll watch Magical Girl stuff. That's okay. It's it's the same thing as, you know, watching Magical Girl shows, and the, there's the transformation sequence every time, or if you watch Sentai shows, it's, you know, the same thing. I will admit, you know, I, I thought that a couple of the flaws were highly present in the ending. There was a romance plot line that wasn't really all that major, and to me felt kind of shoehorned in, and I felt that they probably could have done without it. But again, you know, it wasn't anything that was really major to me. It was still a really, really great show, and I would highly recommend it. I would too. I'd heard that there were some major issues with the toy rights for this show. I haven't got the details on that, though, Mm. but I'd heard something about that. Wouldn't surprise me. You mean with regards to licensing it here? Yes, and that without the toy rights, you're not going to see the show over here. Oh, yeah, because this is obviously a a toy commercial at its heart, as, you know, all these these shows mostly pretty Mm -hmm. much are. But as long as you understand that. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things about Gal Gagar is that even when it's formulaic, even when it does a lot of the same things that have been done before, I think that it's one of those shows that, takes the formula and refines it to this kind of point of like pure excellence where you almost don't even care that it's put formulaic. Put down those exciting Mattel products. <laughs> you caught me. Simpsons reference. <laughs> I tend to wonder if they weren't they weren't all practicing for Gal Gygar through all the different Brave series. I would imagine. I mean, I'm sure that they they learned you know, how to do a lot of things, like over doing all these different series and figuring out, okay, well, this series didn't do very well, like, you know, Golderon. Maybe it was a case of something else. Maybe they eventually found out that, hey, there's not going to be another Brave Saga anime made because Pokemon's going to be the new thing, and so let's go out with a bang. I don't know. That could be like, it as when well. when did Pokemon really catch on as a phenomenon? It was 97. Yeah, and, yeah. and Gal Gagar was on at the time, right? Yeah. So, so maybe once they all saw the writing on the wall... It was like, so this is it, that, and we're, we're well, doing... Well, this is it, guys. Well, we may as well yeah. go out in a blaze of glory, and so maybe that's why all of a sudden yeah. it just becomes fantastic. Yeah. And what's interesting is I, I think that the OAVs seem to be directed at an older audience. They feel like they were directed at an older audience they than the They do, TV almost. Show. And again... And makes me wonder if they were aware that their audience might be able to afford those $50 videos. All right, so does that uh, does that do it for our review of Gal Gygar or our, overlooked, our often overlooked spotlight on the King of Braves Gal Gygar? I think so. All right, well, I was going to complain about the uh, quality of the fan subs in terms of the video. <laughs> because it's like the, the group that released them, they decided to resize everything to this non-standard resolution and the, uh, the video quality, it looks worse than a VHS tape even though they used a DVD source. But you know what? It's fan subs. It's free, guys. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to get too upset over it. I guess check out the show notes for uh, Gal Gygar information and, uh, and that'll do it for, for us here.
And that's going to do it for show number three of Anime World Order. Hopefully some of you, maybe two of you, survived through this one. If you never listened to the show before, don't worry. Every episode is not like this. Next week we'll be trying out a new segment. I'll be discussing an old show and its recent remake. And in this case, we're going to kick things off with Area 88, the original uh, OAVs that were made in the 80s, as well as the new TV series that's being released by ADV right now. I'm going to be taking a look at a show called Hakuge, The Legend of Moby Dick, which is currently being released by ADV on DVD. Dazaki show. Well, what else would they be releasing? Nice. Yeah, it's a Dazaki show. Dazaki and Sagino, so you know they're... That's the mark of quality keeping... right there. Yeah. If you have no idea who these people are, we'll probably we'll go... We'll tell you. Them. Yes. Yes, but we you will. should school you. Clarissa, what will you be doing? Well, I'll be working on another segment that we're going to be rotating out, uh, which is our Yoi segment. All and right, also... that's what I want to hear. <laughs> I How about you, you Gerald? Whoopee. <laughs> <laughs> he That's just pretends not making. to like it. He's, you know, all about the man sex. But yes, and that'll also be sort of a review as I'll talk to you about the recent DVD release of Sensitive Pornograph. Okay. I feel tingly in the butt already. But yeah, that's going to do it for us. Uh, as always, uh, you can visit us on the web at animeworldorder.blogspot.com, and you can email us at animeworldorder at gmail.com. Please do so. We love to you know, get feedback on how terrible we are. Yes. That'll do it. See you guys if you're lucky. If you haven't died. 